Hey guys, happy Throwback Thursday. I'm so excited to repost this episode, as if you're surprised that I'm excited about it. But um, this conversation with Lauren Karens about a year back, John and I just really loved. And I mean, she is just an amazing woman who nine years ago started a group of salons with a partner um, and they have grown, well, started with one salon and they've grown to nine. They might be at 10 now. I have no idea with COVID. Um, nevertheless, great conversation. Hey, listen, if you were thinking about attending the four-day intensive, you better get on the ball. It's this weekend. So February 21st and 22nd, I think we got another space for one more salon. We're only taking 10 um, because it's a highly intensive deal. Uh, $12.95 purchase you three tickets, up to three tickets for your salon owner, manager, um, somebody like that. Hairstylist probably wouldn't want to attend this. This is more of a salon owner, manager, budget guidelines, financials, how to grow your culture, things like that. So anyway, if you want in, get on the ball. If you're a Kuhn salon, you can use your loyalty reward dollars, your KLC dollars, I think they're called, BBF fund, business building funds. And if you just want to pay, you can email us at info at 124go.com. And um, you don't have to be a Kuhn salon. You don't have to be anything. You just have to be interested in salon ownership to join and enjoy. So anyway, guys, sorry for yelling at you this early on a Thursday morning. Enjoy this episode. I really want to say that leadership is about being the bottom of the pyramid. You yeah. are the stepping stone of which everyone uses to climb. Yeah. And the minute you get confused or you get a leader on your team that's confused, confused. about that, starts pointing yeah. down, right. right, you're in trouble. I guess that's it. Yeah, that, that was lame. Oh, man. That's such a bummer. I was really, I was actually kind of proud of that one. <laughs> um, hi, everybody. Welcome to the Shop Talk podcast brought to you by 124Go. I'm your co-host, Chris Sulame, and sitting across the Zoom screen, it's the new norm, my great friend, Mr. John Palmieri. <laughs> can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear the fans in the background. Yeah, okay. um, and we have a really exciting guest today, actually, somebody that I've been stalking. Kind of, I've actually, I haven't told you that yet, but I've, yeah. I've been stalking you on social media for a while um, because, you know, uh, we, we talk about our salons and our situation all the time. Uh, you know, the fact that it's not that often that we get to meet other people that work inside of organizations that are our size, that are independently mm -hmm. um, owned, and that, you know, um, mm -hmm. that are, are really, a, you know, I've used the term lovingly, just, you know, have become a real cult of personality, that you could see that the leader inside of uh, that organization has been able to grow something past one location that has sustainability, as well as um, it's interesting and different mm -hmm. and right. unique in such a way that it continues to attract people not only from inside of the industry, you know, it's easy to get hairstylists there, but from the outside of the industry that there's a connection and an understanding for creating my brand, building my business in a way that both um, honors my internal client, which is my, you know, salon, pe the people that work inside the organization, as well as the external client, which is the client, right? The people that come in and pay our bills. And so, Absolutely. I, I started uh, 
We're here with Lauren Karens uh, from Fox and Jane Salons. And so founder, owner, is it president, CEO? CEO, co-founder. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, so we're juiced up to have you on today. We really appreciate uh, your time. So Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And, you know, and it comes at a time and we weren't mentioning this, but, you know, it's just one of those things where now it's sort of, there's, there's a new normal. We're, we're all coming to you from quarantine. We're all sitting across the Zoom. Oh, yeah. um, I know that we had scheduled this previously and we had to move it because it was right around the time where you were making the decision that you had to shut your salons due to the uh, coronavirus situation. Um, and we followed suit about a week after. So it's been, mm -hmm. a, it's been a tumultuous, kind of a crazy few weeks. Right. Um, I know we're all sort of, whether we're interested in watching it, you know, we're all affected by. Sure. Um, and so, uh, you know, it comes at a time where I think we'll, we'll, this, this conversation maybe was better pushed back because I think we'll have a lot to share that maybe could give some hope to people in the salon industry as well as owners out there and uh, maybe talk a little bit about some of the change that may come. So I, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how this conversation is going to go. We've been on a roller coaster, to, you know, together and apart, but um, yeah, I, I personally am glad for the pushback just because what an incredibly challenging couple of weeks it's been, right? right. Operations yeah. rollout of that closure has been daunting, not even to mention the emotional uh, thought processes that have to go into place with, you know, sending your incredible, you know, I keep saying I had to send my favorite people home. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I feel much more clear a couple of weeks in having, you know, put some irons in the fire and gotten some things moving. So yeah, I'm just happy to be here connecting now kind of with a little more clarity behind me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's wild. And so I know there's a million different ways we can go with this conversation. John, why don't you lead us out and uh, see where we land? Lauren, I think one of the things that I always find interesting, and I know people in our audience always find interesting, is how people got into the industry, you know, what attracted them, what, what made them jump on board. Um, so tell us a little bit about that story. How did you get here? Why hairdressing? How did this journey start? Well, interestingly enough, I didn't, um, I didn't think about hairdressing until like two weeks before I was in it. It all happened really quickly. I went <laughs> off to... Uh, two weeks! <laughs> I, I followed what I call, you know, the supposed twos, like mm -hmm. you're supposed to go to college. Right. And so I started on that pathway and I, I was, you know, starting to work on those, you know, initial credits. And I knew pretty quickly that I was disengaged. I felt like I was wasting time and wasting money and I wasn't showing up. And I was really kind of floundering. I was working and, um, you know, enjoying life, we'll say, as a, as a young woman and 18 years old, what we do. And I had a really great girlfriend from high school who'd moved off to San Francisco. Uh, yeah, where is she? Sacramento, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, we did that like couple, you know, maybe a month or two or three after, after we all get to college and get to our prospective places. And she said, you know, how are you doing? And I said, oh gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm, ne I'm barely going to class. Is this what's, what I'm supposed to be doing? And she said, I have to tell you, I came here and went to beauty school. And every day I go to beauty school and I think, this is what Lauren should be doing. You'd be, oh. you're made for this. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was like that. I was, I called my parents, I think maybe the next day and just said, I want to drop out of college and go to beauty school, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure they were super thrilled about that. But 
Um, they did give me their blessing, you know, full transparency. I wasn't super financially supported. So it was kind of up to me to, to get grants and to work through it. And, um, just, I'm the youngest of four kids, you know, modest background. And so I figured it out. I just started hustling. I think I got, you know, one of those classic Sally May loans and found myself in beauty school. And I think within three weeks I knew, you know, whereas with college, I was like floundering in three weeks. I was like, this is my, this is for me. I, I found it. Um, even though beauty school is tough, I just found a natural connection to the whole, the whole thing. So it, it was, there was no looking back after that. Lauren, aside from the fact that she was your great friend and you'll do everything your great friends tell you to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's still a big jump. Hey, I think you should do this. Okay. I think I will. Yeah. Is, yeah. is there a little more in there? Yeah, I think I was searching. I also was the person who did everybody's hair for prom. Yeah. I, was, I remember a girl knocking on the door of one of my classes in high school in tears. And I don't even know why, because I don't even remember, you know, advertising myself this way. Mm -hmm. But, and she said, I let so-and-so cut my hair. I need you to fix it. She wasn't even a great friend of mine, <laughs> but it was like, I was already the hairdresser on call. Right. <laughs> even yeah. in high school, I was very into makeup and hair and beauty and all of it. And mm -hmm. I think I had a natural affinity for it and attraction for it. And I think I just needed someone in my life to give me permission mm -hmm. that, it, that it's okay, that it would be cool, that it's okay to have that because my older siblings had all gone off to master's degrees and beyond. Mm -hmm. And so I think to have a really great dear friend who been with me for many many years who my family knew who said I'm doing this and it's actually really cool just gave me a confidence that I didn't maybe have on my own what was your friend's first name Nicolette Patterson and if she listens because she's a hairdresser in Sacramento with this whole <laughs> crazy you know social distancing we just checked in on each other recently so thank you Nicolette yeah. <laughs> totally changed my uh, course of my life at that young age yeah that's awesome mm -hmm. we so, uh Go ahead. Um, so hairdressing school. Yeah. Now, I don't want to jump too far forward because I, I have a bad habit of doing that. Um, <laughs> so now you've got a group of salons, you know, uh, under your name, uh, Fox and Jane. Yeah. Um, but obviously there's a transition there. Yeah. Um, there's that time from hairdressing school to deciding to become a salon owner. Tell us about that transition. And specifically, what made you decide that as you started working, you know what, I, I, I want to be the entrepreneur, I want to be the owner, I want to be the, I want to be the leader of this. Well, you're um, going to hear some personality traits in this that uh, there's a common thread for me, which is that sure. it was probably just a couple weeks before I was an owner that I really knew I wanted to be an owner <laughs> as well. Wait a minute, did Nicolette call you up and tell <laughs> no, me? No, not, not this time. <laughs> I wish she had. No, um, you know, I went from beauty school to... I think I had one apprenticeship mm -hmm. at a color studio in Denver. And then uh, I went from there to getting my first assistant job at a salon called Lemonhead in Durango, Colorado mm -hmm. for a woman named Lenore Brieger. She's still my mentor, just the most fabulous woman. Salon owner, I think of 17 years at the time. She had come from uh, Magnificent Mile in Chicago to open a salon in this little town, but she made this huge reputation. I mean, people came from all over you know, the Four Corners area to go to this salon. And I remember her telling me, you know, you're the first person in five years that I'm really hiring because we just have no turnover here. Mm -hmm. I take it really, really seriously. So I got to go into this incredible salon community, this healthy culture. I went through her assistant program 
Uh, and this was my first real relationship to what a salon could feel like. And we were incredibly empowered and mentored. We were pushed and we were, uh, we were shown how to be really successful, not only financially and in, 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 in reputation, but also just as a culture in a community. So right. I worked there for seven years. I went from being her assistant to a lead stylist in that time. And I can't tell you uh, what other folks experienced, but for me, I had the most incredible start because I was, I, I started at the right place. Like I felt really good every day. I went to Lemonhead Salon mm -hmm. from the mentorship in the room to the level of success I built myself. I was booked six weeks in advance in a small town before social media, you know? Mm -hmm. right. And so one day I woke up around 26 or 27 and I decided to move to New York city from Durango, Colorado. And I thought this was going to be the epitome of, you know, fashion and hair and I just had I just had to get out of my small town and do it so I think I you know I had three suitcases and I sold my car for a little bit of money and uh, I took off I moved to New York and I got my first job and um, you know what I thought was my dream and was mm. going to just change my life and be the most you know if, if Lemonhead was this can I imagine how wonderful New York City could be yeah, sure. and I got hit in the face with the reality of just where the industry was at that time you know 2010 2011 mm -hmm. how culturally mm -hmm. missing it was mm -hmm. and I had a total Devil Wears Prada experience working for some really culturally uh, and professionally not so great folks mm -hmm. uh, for about less than a year. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just Goldilocksing around, going around from one really well, you know, one reputable location, one mm -hmm. uh, phenomenally, you know, by reputation. Well, yeah, well known by well reputation, known. but yeah. behind closed but but once you're in there, I bought, I bought the dream of living the nightmare. Yeah. And yeah. I gave up everything. I left this incredible career where I felt like I had kind of peaked at this in small town, come to New York, knew I was a little fish and that was okay. But I got slapped in the face with the reality that not every salon is as um, well functioning and well-meaning as where I had come from. And so I worked at three salons in a very short period of time, all none of which I'll say the name, but all very reputable. And I had really tough experiences. And so I remember I called my third boss and I said, um, you know, you're not, he was a very absentee owner. I said, you're never here. And I think I'm already taking some natural leadership on. Could I be your manager? Like, I think this could be an amazing little shop if I could just be your manager. And he said, I'm never going to pay for a manager. I do this for the income. I'm a marketing guy. Like it kind of runs itself, but you'd make a great owner. You could make a really great living. And that was it. I just started hunting for small business loans for women mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how do I put, you know, my two pennies together and make four and figure this out. And I met my business partner organically. And about six weeks later, we opened our first location. Mm -hmm. It was really that true classic story of, I can't find a place I want to work. Let me make one better than what I could find. And I already have so much case history and yeah. I have such a great example of what it can feel like mm -hmm. uh, to run with. And let me bring it here. Lauren, I, I want to touch base a, a little bit on something. You've used my favorite word in a sentence more than once, which is culture. Oh yeah, one of my favorite words too. <laughs> um, and, and obviously that's a passion for you. And, and I, I always tend to think that one of the biggest challenges with our industry is that I think salon owners, entrepreneurs kind of forget that that's the thing that people gravitate toward, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I know that, you know, I think we've all done enough reading that tells us that, and I'm going to use the word millennials, 
but, <laughs> but the current age bracket of kids coming out of school, going into the salon business, culture is really important. Yeah. You had this transition where you went, you worked for this company in Colorado, smaller firm, but a, an, an intense culture, a happy culture, right? Yeah. One that you felt part of. Yeah. And then you went into three different environments, you know, on the East Coast, and the culture just wasn't there. Yeah. Aside from the obvious, meaning they just didn't have it, why do you think that's such a hard thing for people to grasp? Or why is it that leaders have such a hard time developing happy, successful cultures for their, for their teams? Because mm-hmm. I, I always think that that's the thing that if people did a better job of, we'd have a lot less turnover and not just people leaving our salons, but people leaving the industry as a whole. Yeah, I think, well, I think it's a very complex answer. Yeah. Um, a couple of things that come straight to my mind is, I think the industry has shifted in the nine years since I've been an owner, mm-hmm. that it, being cool was the priority nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Being exclusive was the priority. And I think I was an early um, leader in the thought that actually being inclusive is cool. You mean I don't have to try to be cool anymore? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> if you know me, you'll know that I'm probably a little bit of a dork first, but um, <laughs> thankfully I, I have a little natural cool in me, so it kind of keeps it balanced. But, um, you know, I think we were taught to be exclusive and we were modeled after this exclusivity and um, this, this, I don't know, it feels out, so outdated to me. I now think uh, more of the industry is, is catching on. Mm-hmm. What I think is still missing and something that I personally try to fill a tremendous amount of the void in mm-hmm. is actual education on how to get that done. Mm-hmm. Because to really answer your question, I think I actually was listening to your podcast this morning, kind of getting ready to, to chat with you both. And um, I heard a conversation you had just a couple weeks ago with a gentleman and excuse that I can't remember his name, but it was a lovely conversation. And he was saying how there's never been more education out there for a hairstylist. They get to move faster. They get to do better. I don't think that's still true for a salon owner. There's Mm -hmm. still not enough fabulous education Mm -hmm. on how to be a great leader for salons. There's a lot of information about small business in the world, but there's not a lot focused on what we do every single day. And mutually, just to talk to you guys about what you've done, I was excited today for the exact same reason. There's not a lot of us. Right. Right. And so I think for the ones who have hacked it a little bit and figured out, we are really responsible to help. And I'm going to say with emphasis, employee facing salons. Sure. Yeah to get some real information about how to get it done. I think what's shifted organically is the idea that being cultural is correct. I think what's still missing is what does that actually mean? And that's why I wrote Culture Fox. That's why I wrote my book. And that's why I'm working on, you know, as much as I am to now go from being CEO of Fox and Jane internally and spending all my time on my beautiful brand that I'm so proud of to wait a minute, Fox and Jane is only going to be able to exist in a world where employee facing salons still exist. Exist. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, totally. It's, it's an interesting conversation. And we've been talking, we talk a lot about that because from, from the podcast facing um, audience, we, we know that it's an industry. We're speaking mm-hmm. to the industry and, and there are multiple different ways to do it. So, you know, right. uh, we'll have somebody like you on and then we'll have somebody like Eric Taylor, you know, from the hair game who has a completely different business model. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate all of it, right? Yeah. 
However, I listen to it all too, by the way. Totally, totally. However, with that said, we understand in our, in our day job, which is at home, right? Right. We need to sustain um, our business, you know, and, and we need to make sure, you know, maybe most importantly, and, and John, you know, I'm probably when I'm speaking and saying what I'm saying, you know, John plays one of the biggest roles around this on a daily basis. I just watch him operate um, in a way in which everybody inside, even as the organization gets bigger, every person feels like an individual there. They feel heard. Um, they, when they, when they, when they desire, when they put their hand up and say, we need to change this. If it's changeable, if it is something that we should change, it gets heavily considered. And, and if it is something that should really change, it changes. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, you said it in your opening and I don't think I've ever heard it said as eloquently actually, as far as, when I grew up in the salon industry, um, exclusivity was the thing, mm-hmm. you know, and now inclusivity is, is it's demanded. It's not even, yeah. it's not like you should, it's like, you know, uh, new, younger stylists, call them what you will, are demanding that their leadership listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, a, and, and the way they demand it is I'll either stay here yeah or i won't <laughs> right that's, <You're> right. that's <laughs> yeah. you know and and since there are options and and you know i'll hear john say this all the time is um but we we said brian our uh the guy that owns the salons that we work within um you know he basically says it's well i'm kind of losing my train of thought because there's just so much around this but he's he basically you know, says it's the leader's job to paint the picture of the vision. And once that picture is painted, you know, it's everybody else's job to make sure that everybody else can grow within there. Mm. Um, and so, you know, if, if I don't, if I don't have growth nowadays, um, and I'm a young stylist, I'm only going to be there so long, you know? I agree. And I think, you know, Fox and James started in full transparency with culture right? Mm-hmm. I knew what I knew how to do was make people feel, let me say that again, what I knew how to do was help people to feel really in alignment, that mm-hmm. they had a place in my vision and that they were heard and seen. I always say, you know, my team is my board of directors. I'm the president. I make the final vote, but they're mm-hmm. my board of direct- directors. I take into account everything that they say, mm-hmm. right? And which is what you are saying about your business, which I love so much, mm-hmm. but it is challenging and we can't say that it's not to get to the point where we are a step ahead of them all the time. Right. And I've, I've got folks who make incredible income working three days a week. You know, their sales are incredible. They're booked eight months in advance. Some of them are a year, you know, and I've still got to stay a step ahead of them. Now right. I couldn't have done that nine years ago when we started, I've had to figure that out one day at a time, but I still can't lose focus on it nine years later, or I still risk, that exact conversation that you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? It, it never stops having a point of accountability. Now, maybe that accountability shifts to teaching them why we're capped out and all the expenses make sense, mm-hmm. right? And how, yeah. you know, in congratulations, you've hit the 1% and now, now we get to hang here, right? Yeah. Um, but that accountability, I think, you know, and to go to your earlier question uh, about, about why it's so hard is because this is all just culture. It's the cultural decision that we do invest in our employee development. It's the cultural decision that there are pathways 
for everybody. And it's the thing that helps someone who might in the beginning feel like a little rejective of your coaching mm -hmm. a few months later after seeing some growth feel like, Oh my gosh, look at what's already happened for me mm -hmm. through just, you know, uh, diving in and leaning in and taking some direction from you. I'm already seeing growth for myself mm -hmm. because it isn't, they're not going to just do it because it's an, I said so, right. We all know right. that. They're doing it because it actually does benefit them, which is why, you know, I personally believe so much in a coaching culture. And again, I don't want to get all over the place, but it's a complicated conversation, isn't it? It's very big. It's a big, well, that we you do. know, I, I love the piece about the coaching culture. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit if it's okay. Yeah. Um, because I think, I think coaching is that communication piece, right? Yeah. And in any strong culture, you've got to have strong communication systems. Mm. Um, as you said, you may be the president of your company, but you have a board of directors that you, I mean, not a board of directors, you have a, um, stakeholders that yeah. you listen to every yeah. day, yeah. right? Um, Thank you. And, yep. and so that communication has got to happen. So mm. talk a little bit about what a cult, coaching culture looks like for you and in your environment and why that's important. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because in the beginning, I, I hire all different kinds of folks, people who have graduated through our amazing assistant programs, pe people who have 10 years experience. And I have to remind, no matter what level you're coming in, that you're going to be in the beginning, put on kind of the same little conveyor belt. <laughs> and it's not going to feel comfortable at first, okay. especially if you're that 10 year stylist. Right. Mm -hmm. But I promise you, if you take three steps back, I'm going to help you to grow 20 steps forward because you might be a little confused uh, or you might have some bad behaviors or be a little outdated in some of your mm -hmm. processes. But I promise, and here's the proof of the pudding, here's what we've created. And there we have the data and the other folks walking around the salon who you can say, is this true? And they'll be like, yep, yeah, it's true. Look at my business, right? I want to stop you for just a quick second. Yeah. I love that. Of, ten, of the 10 stylists who walk in the room with 10 years of experience, how many of the how 10 many make of it through that? Thankfully, after years of reevaluating our hiring, hiring processes, all of them. Awesome. Yeah. But that's because we, we suss out early. The ones <laughs> from an ego standpoint are like, sure. Well, I'm not going to do assisting for the full four weeks, mm -hmm. or I'm not taking that low of a commission to start, mm -hmm. or, you know, we, we make it like, we make it a little tough because yeah. we have so much to give. Like mm -hmm. we can't get stuck on this because if right. you're already stuck in your ego at zero right. and I've got a whole ladder to help you climb, I can't be fighting with you every step of the way. So yeah. we're looking for folks who are looking for a career reset at that mm -hmm. level. Sure. Or, uh, who are looking for a career at that more, you know, green level. Mm -hmm. And we talk, I talk about the coaching culture from the interview, right? If you're yep. a salon or listening, it starts at nice to meet you. Welcome to a coaching culture. Do you like feedback? Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like interview orientations, day one, end of day one, day two, end of day two. It's like, it starts and it is relentless. And, and what really usually happens is they're like, Oh my gosh, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. And then yeah. at some point they're like, I can't wait to talk to you, uh -huh. right? It's kind of like going to the trainer. <laughs> it's like when you first start working out again and you're like, I got to work out. And then later you're like, I can't wait for my workout. Yeah. My top tier team can't get enough of our coaching because the proof is in the pudding. Right. The folks who have never had coaching from another salon, mm -hmm. they're like nervous, they're shaking. Why are you talking to me? Am I in trouble? Right. And so for us, coaching is the intention to mentor through almost any employee challenge. Mm -hmm. Because we know being salon leaders, sometimes coaching is basic kind of professional 
behaviors, mm -hmm. yeah. right? We, we get into stuff as salon leaders that, you know, my husband's an architect. He never would have to approach. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And I have to be able to coach and teach leaders in my business because I'm now not the forward facing leader of most of my locations, how to have conversations about all different kinds of stuff, don't we? You know, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but we try to get through that as quickly as we can. We try to make sure the values are clear. This is our values. These are, this is our honor code. You got to get that clear first so we can get into the good business stuff. But culture always comes first. We spend the first three months, we always say, just making the boxes. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. come in and figure out how to be a community member. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why is it, um, and I, I a million percent agree, um, in my career, I've had this, my salon life, you know, mm -hmm. ownership piece. And then I went into corporate for a little while, working for a few of the hair brands. And I, it was a culture shock is what it was, right? <laughs> I, and I didn't become a culture fox, no doubt. I, it was a cult. Um, but I learned some things in that time. And, you know, now being back out in the independent salon market, I realized very much that there's, that, you know, John says this a lot, is that, you know, while in corporate you can put a rule in place and then everybody just kind of has to follow the rule, yeah. it doesn't, always work that way in salons that there's some massaging time and even you saying like your first mm -hmm. three months you're almost expecting that repel yeah. in the beginning it's like leave me alone leave me alone and um i guess my questions are how did you come upon that um style and have you have you know what's it yeah, first of all, how did you come upon that style? Because it's a, it's, and you use the word relentless. <laughs> I believe you have to be relentless. You're breaking habits or you're trying to break through the walls of, in general, people don't like to hear hard stuff. Mm -hmm. So true. So how, how did that come about? It's a great question. Um, a lot of what I have done has just been through one day at a time leadership. That's the truth. I just started and I just, um, I have worked so uh, tirelessly to also stay agile, right? Mm -hmm. to, to make sure that I'm paying attention to what's working and not what's not working. So I think through just the process of paying attention, like, okay, I, I, I got five successful people trained in and now I've got them on this next level. And we don't have a particular level system, but we have coaching pathways that we use to help our leaders understand how to get them through the next steps. Yeah. Um, and so I think it was just trial and error. I mean, I hate to be so simple, so simplistic, but that was the truth. I just started mentoring folks and seeing what mentorship looked like. And what I started to notice after a few years was that it just had so many patterns there's a couple different kinds of team members. There's a couple different kinds of responses. I mean, there's always anomalies, but we started to realize that these behaviors happened over and over and over. So if we could build uh, pathways and get ahead of them and help soothe and clarify before someone even had that anxiety that happened to the last person, right? We would have a next, the next onboarding would even be better. And so it was just trial and error. I mean, I, I'm the definition of, you know, hairstylist to CEO. I figured this whole thing out one day at a time mm -hmm. and, and constantly my pathways and my processes are, are getting updated. They're still there. I'm going to go back to work and they're going to be updated again because mm -hmm. now this whole uh, cultural shift that we're all about to go to go through could change everything again, as far right. as that, um, you know, as you said, 
stylists leaving and, and you know, mm -hmm. kind of who's in control and all of that, it could shift again. So I, again, sim simplistic answer, but it's just been through doing it, mm -hmm. just figuring it out. Well, and I think I would add, it sounds like what you didn't do was quit on it. You, mm -hmm. you had the vision, you saw the vision yeah. because there are, I think there are a lot of people that open up businesses that, that have all of the skills, tools, and talents that they need to do it. And the one thing that maybe happens is at some point along the way, employee number 13 comes in and it's mm -hmm. just like, you know what? I've had enough. I'm going to get behind the chair. I'm going to make my money. I'm going right. to, and it, you know, and the cycle begins and you were relentlessly committed to the vision of knowing that you could bring people past what they thought they could get to. Um, I think I really want to say that leadership is about being the bottom of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. You are the stepping stone of which everyone uses to climb. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the minute you get confused or you get a leader on your team that's confused, confused. about that, starts pointing yeah. down, right. right? You're in trouble. And I think what I've worked to do through hiring, through promotion, and, and, and through myself, I know my partners are the exact same way because we share a value system, yes. is remember that even in this, even in this closure, I'm sitting here going, how do I serve, my, how do I serve those folks? Yeah. And right. so if, you, if you're constantly in service leadership, it's really easy to stay clear. Yeah. It gets, it's draining, sure. You have to figure out ways sure. to manage it all, but it's, it's service leadership. Like I'm in service to you. So yeah. as you said earlier, our internal customers, my internal customers are all saying like, nope, this, um, you know, this isn't it, this isn't great. Like I gotta right. listen to that. Just yeah. like I gotta listen to my external customers and what, and what they're saying. Right, yeah. I mean, what, what you said hits a, hits a chord with us. I mean, we were closed. We were closed last week, we're closed this week. You know, and I'm here at work and, you know, I can do this podcast. Yeah. I can do this podcast at home. Yeah. But, you know, Brian, the, the owner of our company that, you know, the guy we get to work with and Tammy, who's in HR, you know, we're hitting, we're sitting here doing exactly what you just said, which is what can we do to serve our people, even though they're not here? Yeah. What can we do to serve our people when they come back, whenever yeah. that date is, you know, mm -hmm. but it's not because I can't do this paperwork at home because I can. Right. But what are we doing as a company of 150 stylists? You know, what are we doing to serve them? Yeah. Either now, right. you know, um, with unemployment insurance and, you know, stopgap pay measures. Wild. Yeah. All that. Mm -hmm. What does my health insurance look like? Um, and, you know, what's going to happen when we come back? And yeah. That's why I love that. Yeah. yeah. And we spent the morning doing the exact same thing. My, whole, right. my core, my core yeah. little team. Um, started at a 10 a.m. meeting and we've got a bunch of things we're, we're keeping them notified. I think it's keeping that anxiety down through communication and just, right. again, future planning, future planning, can't miss a step. This is, we're looking at this as opportunity time to get some really intense operation stuff done that we've been wanting to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. HR cleanup and some app changes and things where we're like, oh my gosh, look at all this time we have to totally. focus. Yeah. So we're really taking it as an opportunity um, mm -hmm. to, to benefit our return for sure. So you've got, you've kind of created this uh, communication culture, this coaching culture. Mm -hmm. um, you've attracted people to your company and now you've got multiple locations. And did I see one is in Canada? Was that correct? Yes. Yeah, so we're nine locations. Yeah. 
One is in Canada. Uh, we're two in Colorado. Uh, we, ha we have a sister brand called Skin Habit uh, that has two locations in San Diego. It's a skincare brand, but you know, it, we help mentor them as well and, and manage them through my business partnership. Um, and then we have our New York uh, and Brooklyn locations. So we are, yeah, last year was our uh, first international year and that was challenging and unique and surprising in a lot of ways that maybe I should have expected, but uh, in hindsight, it was a lot harder than I was thinking it was going to be to, sure, to sure. roll in. Yeah. yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about that for, for half a minute. And I realize it's probably a podcast in itself. <laughs> yeah. For many people, the idea of just maintaining the location they have and the eight to 10, you know, 12 stylists they have is a challenge every day. Mm. And yet you've been able to multiply what you've created. You've been able to multiply your culture um, to create these nine locations, these two, you know, uh, skin habit locations that you have. How did that process, and maybe to, maybe what I'll ask is so we can keep the podcast to a reasonable length, is how did that start? How's that? Um, I have a business partner by the name of Billy Canoe, who's mm -hmm. my you know, I always say my business soulmate, he's my best friend. Yeah. Um, and he is a pusher. He's like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And I'm like, make sure it's good. Make sure it's good. Make sure it's good. <laughs> yeah. And thankfully that happened because together we are really grounded in our process. Mm -hmm. And so he's a marketing guy and he helped me and us to get, you know, what I do is make sure that all of our leads stick and that anybody who comes in, our retention is super high, our rebooking is super high. And he's like, let me get you leads. Let me get you leads. And so when we opened our first location, I, I think it was only eight months before we opened our second, because we'd maxed out already. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we, for most new clients, it takes about six weeks to get into one of our locations because just, we just have so much volume. Mm -hmm. And for a new stylist, when they start with us, especially here in New York City, there's about a four week pre-booking that they're given the day I open their book. So if you get the job and you go through all of that really great training, mm -hmm. I open your books, you get four weeks of overflow that just pours in. You're given a full book essentially. Got it. And so through doing that, we have this natural um, need to continue expansion. Mm -hmm. Our first several expansions were all privately owned. It was just mm -hmm. he and I opening multiple locations. I think we did that about four or five times. Mm -hmm. And then what we started to realize is that in order to expand out of New York City, um, we had an interest in partnership. And I had a, a phenomenal life, you know, longtime friend, uh, my business partner, Brittany Jones in, in Colorado, who was my first hair assistant at that Lemonhead salon. Mm -hmm. yeah. And she would call me and she would say, uh, hi, you know, she had another salon at the time. Hi, you know, I have a quick question, mm -hmm. you know, um, can I, do I have a form for this or is, am I allowed to say this? Mm -hmm. And over the course of maybe six or eight months, I gave her a lot of free mentorship. And one day I kind of had to put my little foot down and say, I love helping you. But at a certain point, I feel like you kind of need some real support. Like you need partnership. Yeah. And I said, it's too bad you already opened your salon. Cause I would have been happy to partner with you. And she said, I'm so lonely as a sole proprietor. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Are you serious? And I was like, I'm serious if you're serious. So we went from privately owned locations to she was our first real test model of what does partnership look like? 
And so we rebranded her first location and we've helped her open her second location since then. We're full mm -hmm. partners. We do full background mentorship. We do, you know, HR, taxes, uh, coaching for her, coaching for her leaders, scheduling, I mean, everything. And she gets to go out and be a real salon leader in the room, training other leaders, growing locations, educating. And that was the first model. Since then, we've opened Little Lion with a partner, Skin Habit, and then Toronto. And what we really have fallen in love with is the act of mentorship through partnership. We mm -hmm. really, our goal and our initiative is actually to help rebrand and take on other salon partners mm -hmm. who want to become Fox and Jane's or potentially their own brands because I love mentoring partners because mm -hmm. you know what it is? I get to do what I needed and didn't have. Mm -hmm. And I get to be a hand out there going, come on, let's look at it this way. Come on, let's, okay, mm -hmm. this is your P&L. Have you ever mm -hmm. looked at this before? <laughs> this is your top line expenses. This is your bottom line expenses. Mm -hmm. right. You know, like I get to now take what I learned on those five locations and mm -hmm. pass it around to these partners and help uplift them. Mm -hmm. And then they're uplifting our stylists mm -hmm. and we're sharing those values. So it's a really unique model, but I just have to tell you, it's been, a jo it's been the joy of my professional life, figuring that out. Mm -hmm. um, a couple things. One is when you go through this process, you talk about rebranding. So you'll have somebody that maybe owns a salon um, and they want to rebrand themselves as a Fox and Chain and you go through the mentorship and the process and the leadership development and the yeah. back end management school stuff. What's been your biggest or, or what shows up as the biggest challenge when you take someone on in, in that kind of uh, process? Oh, that's such a great question. What is the biggest challenge? Vetting. I think the biggest yeah. challenge up actually, mm -hmm. if you can imagine what we just talked about before with like hiring a 10 year stylist. Right. right. Yeah. I was going at my same place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually not what happens after it's mm -hmm. vetting. Mm -hmm. It's starting conversation. I mean, I, you know, I, I think I just mentioned, I have about four mm -hmm. amazing salon partners. I've vetted and started tiny conversations with 50. Right. Sure. And it's like, so the process of finding people who really want to be cultural mm -hmm. givers, service leaders, mm -hmm. who in alignment with us and alignment with our, 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 one of our initiatives called the Dress Code Project, which you guys should definitely have on your podcast. Um, mm -hmm. There's so many things. It's like vetting uh, to the to the level of marriage. It's like we're dating. We are. Are we sure? Because I do think business partnership is marriage, and we take it really, really seriously. So I actually think the before stuff to make mm -hmm. sure you get through and you're taking on the right salon partners. Cause this isn't a franchise. It's not right. you're over there and I'm over here. It's like, we are talking every day. Mm -hmm. We have scheduled calls. You're with my team, you know, it has to sync up. So that's been the most difficult thing so far, making mm -hmm. sure that that process is controlled and smooth and, and right. You kind of brought up the same point twice now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to dig a little bit on it. When you have that 10 year staff member or yeah. future team member, I want to use. <laughs> When you have that 10 year veteran who wants to come in and be a future team member, or when you're deciding who partnerships are going to be with, you know, there's a vetting process. I'm going to use your language. Um, and, and to me, that's important on both avenues, right? Because whether you're a partner externally or whether you're a partner internally, um, right. we're still going to go through this vetting process. What's the things that you most look for? What are the things that you say, you know what, this is the person that's going to make a great internal partner, or this is the person that's going to make a great external partner. What are those, those little key points that, because here's the thing, you've got this great operation of, of nine locations, but I'm thinking about that man or woman who's got a small salon, eight, 10, 12 people, 
who's yeah. still trying to figure this out, right? <laughs> um, you know, give them a little tidbit on what that looks like. I think it's about readiness. I think what I'm looking for is that person, you know, I, I always have those top stylists come to me and go, well, could I have a location? Mm -hmm. And I'm more hesitant to do that. And the reason is I want someone who's got a couple miles of ownership alone mm -hmm. under their belt. Um, and so we'll, I'll, talk, I'll speak to partnership first. Mm -hmm. um, because when you have a couple years of being a sole proprietor, you know how tough and lonely that can be. And then you start getting support and you've still got energy behind, you know, under you yeah. and you're, and you're ready. I think it's just readiness. Like, are you ready? So one of the things I kind of do is I'll give them some small little challenges, like little things to go do tweak in their business. Go ahead and try that. And what I really look for is that person who's like, got it. What's next? Did that yeah. yesterday. Here's what happened. What do you want me to do next? <laughs> right. Because in the beginning, until they are more of a peer to me, it's a mm -hmm. lot of that. Mm -hmm. Go do this. Let's try this. Mm -hmm. get that launched out because they're the boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. Right. So they have to be capable of going and delivering that out and coming back to me and saying, this was what we found from that. This is the challenges that came up. Here's how I handled it. What's next. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, for the, the, you know, maybe senior stylist, it's not that different. It's just openness. It's, mm -hmm. I, I like to ask a lot of questions. First of all, I'm hiring you, but you're also hiring me. So in both of these scenarios, I think I work for extreme transparency of what is this going to feel and look like? Mm -hmm. What are you signing up for? Because I don't ever want to uh, sell someone into a relationship with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want people to buy into a relationship with me because they feel so clear of the benefits of that relationship mm -hmm. and also what um, th that they're in exact alignment that this is what their goal is going to be and, and we're heading to the same place, right? Right. So that clarity, clarity, clarity. And and for that senior team member, it's like, are you clear, right, of mm -hmm. all the things we're going to put you through? And on, on, and when we ask you to single book in the beginning, and you're not allowed to layer and we're slowing you down and you're not, you know, triple booked all day. And that could go on for a period of time. It's, it's clarity. And through that clarity, gauging the kind of questions they ask, mm -hmm. their receptiveness and openness to it, their understanding of the why, mm -hmm. right? So I think for the for the hiring process, it's a lot to do. And I guess for the partnership process with almost more sharing, like, mm -hmm. are you sure if this is what this feels like, right? Are you sure that that's where you want to be? Because you don't have to, mm -hmm. right? You don't have to. What, what struck me, um, that was beautiful, by the way. Um, I mean, this whole conversation has been great. I'm actually, I just looked at the time and I'm like, how are we already 45 minutes into this conversation? I literally feel like we just got got on here. Um, what's, what I'm hanging on to and I want to circle back to is when you partnered in uh, Denver, in yeah. Colorado, the, the same location, did you, did you, with the same leadership team, yeah. and it sounds like with, with just some, I'm going to say, I'll make it, I'm going to simplest, make it sound simplistic. I know it wasn't. Okay. With just some tweaks, yet I can't do it in this location. Right. I can't do it in my town. Oh, I can't do it with this staff, right? <laughs> you, you, you hear this stuff, right? Right. Um, and yet, and yet, now you you took a, an existing business and with some rebranding, which to me sounds like some strategy, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to take a different strategy. Um, we're going to implement a different business model, but we're in the same place with some of the same people, and we had this much growth. 
um, what, what were the main or what were some of the key elements to making that change happen? Mm. Because it's, it's measurable. It's measurable. Well, first of all, I have to start by saying that my business partner there is phenomenal, right? Sure. She's, she, was, she was doing what I think so many small business owners do, which is everything. Mm-hmm. And how great are we when we do everything a little bit? Right. And so I think the first thing we do is we come in, we talk them through how that launch is going to go, and then we get to say, let us take this from you. It's going to be a ton of communication, but let us free up some of this burden of stuff that's not your circle of excellence. And by the way, it's not my circle of excellence either. either. I'm not processing our payroll. I'm not, you know, reviewing our and auditing and doing all these things for us. I, let's take that out of our plate by getting you into our management group, right? Our corporate management group. So first of all, just that gives them what, 20 hours a week, more time to pour into things that really matter. The second thing we do is we build relationships with that whole team. It can't just be her. We got to come in as a back-end company and, and I'm flying out and director of education's flying out and we're all there. Now she's able to start liaising with experts, which is what we all need right? It's not that she wasn't capable of having a phenomenal salon. It's that it's really hard as a sole proprietor to do it all and to do it all really well and find mentorship and be a hairstylist. She was stuck like so many other folks in that rat race, right? So I think the combination of easing up some of her burden at the same time of injecting her with information and mentorship and that what's next and talk about a what's next kind of girl. She is like, what's next to what's like she now she's actually more similar to my other business partner where she's like, she pulls me forward in a way that I really enjoy mm-hmm. because I never want to sit in a place, you know, my salon owner and uh, partner in Toronto is a 10 year salon owner. This isn't about us, you know, I'm not Tabitha, all respect to Tabitha. Like this isn't me taking over. This is the idea that partnership makes us stronger. We have more people, you know, my business, my marketing partner gets to come in and own what that digital marketing relationship looks like. Before my, my Colorado partner might've been trying to do that through a service that she barely understood for a couple hundred bucks a month. Like we get to come together with many different masteries and inject them into the pot. And I think for us, that has just created a really dynamic formula. Mm -hmm. So we we get to just dose them with mentorship. Here's what's next. At a certain point, they get to a place where we're what's nexting together, right? But in the beginning, it's like, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do. Easing that burden and supporting them through it. So I think it's just the idea that, you know, I could say it one more time, sole proprietorship can be daunting and I think for a hairstylist who's a working hairstylist it can be a little impossible to get to that million dollar point if you're I mean not impossible because we all know folks who've done it but it's a lot longer road it's a lot longer road yeah Mm -hmm. love it thank you um this is going to sound a a little off direction but you brought it up and and I find this interesting you talked about you know how you got people uh, they sign up for your company, they go through their training program about four weeks-ish, I think you said. And then at the end of that four weeks, you've already got them booked out. Um, you've already got a, appointments on their book. Um, and you mentioned two things. You mentioned retention and rebooking. Mm-hmm. Um, classic. <laughs> they are classic. And I asked this question for two reasons. One, why are they important? And two, I hear more and more 
uh, I don't want to say consulting company, but maybe coaching companies or, or other people in the industry who tend to downplay those two numbers. And I find that interesting. Uh, I find it interesting that you're still using that language. Uh, I want to know why that's so important. And I find it interesting that I hear some folks suggesting those numbers aren't quite as important. Um, and so I want to kind of get your feedback on that. I find it deeply interesting. And I'm always, as, I, as I mentioned, I think you guys share this with me. I'm deeply open to evolving if that were to no longer be true for me. Sure. But I'm also incredibly data driven. Mm -hmm. Data is very meaningful to me. It, you know, it's all started with culture, but once I started figuring out data, mm -hmm. I fell in love with it and I, you know, I fell in love hard. Right. And I started to really realize that if I'm going to give you a full book of clients, if I've got this overflow, and by the way, that's mine. Those are my clients until they're yours. My sure. mission is to help you build your business within my business. But how mm -hmm. am I going to prove that that's happened? Mm -hmm. Right? I yeah. have all the data. I know how many calls I get, leads I get, website visits I get, social media hits I get. I have all that. Right. I know I can put things on your books, right? But mm -hmm. my job is to help you build a business and then get stable so that I can hire the next person and that cup continues to runneth over, mm -hmm. right? And so those two metrics are what empower us as a community mm -hmm. to ensure that yes, we're giving you a generous start, but at a certain part point, we're transitioning to uh, building your business within our business. Mm -hmm and transitioning to a place where um, you are accountable for that business on your own. Mm -hmm. Looks like we lost Chris there. Yeah, I saw that. Back. I wasn't sure if I should pause. <laughs> um, what a good thing is, is that Chris is really good at editing. So <laughs> even this part of the conversation will cut out uh, okay, a little cool. bit later. Yeah. We yeah. missed you, Chris. Uh, yeah, it popped off and I, I'm, it's, it still says recording, but I'm a little bit scared All right, so that I missed part. that part. We'll review it while, um, now to go back. So okay, what we were talking you. about was we were talking about why those numbers were important. And Lauren was talking about how she's building a company. She's helping a stylist build their business within her business. So Lauren, I know you're repeating yourself, but for the sake of Chris being able to. Yeah, I'm just afraid yeah. that we didn't catch that. And it sounded like you were on a beautiful roll. No problem. Um, so I was saying that, you know, the idea for me between rent retention and rebooking is that I know how many leads I get, right? I know how many people click on my website, how many people call my phones, how many people click through our social, how many new appointments we get. I have that data and it's my job to help you build a business within my business, right? I'm going to, I'm going to give you this head start, but not so that I can continue feeding you forever to give you the skills to then build your business within my business. And so how do I measure the fact that that's what you're doing? Because if you want to know the secret of how I've, I have so much overflow, mm -hmm. it's that I've held everyone accountable to retaining that head start that I give them. Right. So what eventually happens, right? If we're just filling this, um, you know, we're filling this, uh, what's it called? A ca colander, you know, yeah. it, uh, right. And we're dumping and sure some's running through, some's running through, but we fill it and we fill it and enough is catching that mm -hmm. a certain point it actually bubbles over the top. Yeah. And that's what we do as a brand. So for me, I, I've, I've sat in business seminars where other leaders, influencers have said, quit rebooking and right. things don't matter. Mm -hmm. I get really afraid of two different things. One is, uh, and, I, and I say this with utmost respect because I, I really do love influencer culture. Mm -hmm. um, is, does that work for you and what you've done? Mm -hmm. Or does that work for many, many, many case studies? Mm -hmm. 
That's my first question I would ask that person who's challenging yeah. it. Mm -hmm. And the same thing goes to the corporate um, folks who sometimes advise on our industry. And this is where I say there's not enough of us who are really doing it from the successful standpoint of having built these salons. Mm -hmm. okay. Are you advising based on trend, based on, you know, where is this information coming from that this right. is outdated or irrelevant? I, I challenge it. For me, it's so deeply relevant that I've built mm -hmm. a incredibly successful business you know, there's many metrics that matter, but these two metrics matter deeply. Yeah. And so I, I don't find them dated at all. I find what's dated is the idea that, um, what's dated is the idea around culture and motivation to get there, mm -hmm. but the metrics haven't shifted. And that's right. true for our other brands and concepts as well, like Skin Habit. Mm -hmm. You know, these metrics matter to brick and mortar service-based businesses. They just do. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, because we like to think of ourselves as a teaching podcast, right? Yeah. Um, again, I'm looking at that salon. It's got eight, 10, maybe 12 folks in it, right? And we talk about retention and they're getting mixed signals, right? Mm -hmm. They're getting mixed signals from influencers. They're getting mixed signals from, you know, corporate environments. And I say corporate, I mean that in a healthy way, yeah. right? Because I think um, a corporation done right has yeah. a culture that supports the people that it's in it, that are in it, right? Uh, corporations get to do things for its team that sometimes single uh, entrepreneurs can't. Um, mm -hmm. So I use it as a positive term, not as a negative. Right. Um, yet again, we've got these mixed signals coming in from different resources. How, for that eight, nine, ten chair salon owner, how do you measure retention so that they can understand how to help their team members do that? Well, most of us now have. Uh, awesome booking software that helps us to control the data side of this, right? right. Um, which is where it all starts. Are we looking at our data every single day, especially when we're in a, a growth goal, right? These goals should be looked at constantly for evaluation. Are we passing that data to our team members? Are we sitting alone in this right. feeling? Mm -hmm. Or are we having goal setting conversations and we will, if we're going into a goal initiative or we have a new member, team member, we'll talk to them about their, their pre-booking or, uh, you know, some of these important metrics to us in the beginning every day, mm -hmm. every day they have to text us these numbers. So are you owning that conversation in clarity? Is your team owning that conversation in clarity? Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I think if you're sitting there as a small business salon that's struggling today, there's a lot of uh, information out there. But be careful about listening to someone who isn't doing something similar to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That would be my advice. Like if you're listening to one influencer who has 500,000 social media followers saying, I stopped pre-booking, mm -hmm. compare that before you make any strategic moves mm -hmm. to the business you're actually operating and your own marketing and your own following and your own volume. Mm -hmm. And before you pull something like a pre-booking or a retention out, um, make sure you're tweaking the right things. Like, are people really engaging in this? And is this information really prevalent in my business? Mm -hmm. And is that actually what's missing? Mm -hmm. Right? Because I would, I would guess for most small business owners, uh, what that data looks like and where it's sourced, uh, they might not even know. They might not even be accessing it mm -hmm. and engaging in it with consistent in it consistently. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for me, I'm not going to give a specific metric. I think pre-booking above 50% is a great start. And I think retention around 80% is a great number. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think goal setting is all about incremental growth mm -hmm. and, and strategic growth. 
So if you have zero pre-booking right now and you're like, I'm in a town where nobody pre-books and that's your mission, you have to figure out what does healthy pre-booking look like to you? Is it 30%? Right. Would that be the shift that this quarter helps mm -hmm. you to feel this much stronger, you know, a touch stronger? If it's getting to 50% or to like some of our, our you know, initiatives and goals, 70 and 80%, awesome but don't don't set out at that 70 percent number right mm -hmm. or you're gonna overwhelm everyone mm -hmm. first you have to come into that team with the why why do we suddenly care about this when we never did before right, right? Yeah. and and why am i gonna now be okay with you coaching me all the time about it mm -hmm. like we have to start where we are <laughs> you know I, I what i love about everything that you just said is it reminds us that the foundational stuff still and always will exist mm -hmm. and you know i love that you referenced influencer culture because it's really easy for me to get distracted as a newer stylist and go oh well that person doesn't even take new clients anymore that's where i want to get to or oh this person doesn't says that pre-booking is not the thing if i just grow up and it's like you know, <clears throat> yes, and taking take to mind the source. And I love what you said because I want to repeat it. For most brick and mortar businesses, <laughs> mm -hmm. these are, these are the, going to be, now paraphrase, these are the lifeblood of your business. You know, I can one off, I can be a one off stylist that gets famous and creates demand that's bigger than, you know, than I can spend for a little while. Um, but as a but as a business, unless I have these foundational things in place and I'm looking at them, measuring them, appreciating them, and getting better at them all the time, um, eventually that will either burn off, right? It'll be a one-off. Mm -hmm. You had a successful year or two, yeah. and then you lost sight of what was important and got you there. Um, a lot, I think a lot of salons do that. It's like a new bar that opens a, a cool happy hour. Right. Uh, and everybody's there for two months and then nobody goes there anymore because it's not the cool spot. Right. right? Salons have um, experienced some of that type of phenomenon by taking their eye off the ball. And so it's it's everything. I mean, I, I always tell my team, I'm going to teach you to juggle. But first, I'm going to put two balls in your hand and I'm going right. to teach you that skill. Right. And then I'm going to put a third ball in your hand. And guess what? You're probably going to drop a ball at a point and I'm going to help you to pick it back up. Yeah. And, you know, and I tell my partners this too. Now my partners, you know, many of them are juggling eight balls. But when right. we first started, they were just struggling with those two little, how do I get reviews? How do I get my team to rebook? How do I right. have a good day? You know, how yeah. do I answer difficult questions? Like, and then each time, you know, you get better and more sophisticated as you go. And the same thing is true, really, no matter what we're trying to learn, right? Whatever yeah. that skill may be. But you're right. If it's not a full dedication, you could be like, oh yeah, I tried to get my team to rebook. It didn't work. Well, were you relentless? What did we already talk about on our conversation today? Right. Right. How relentless were you? What did trying mean? When did you give up or when did you, when were you inconsistent in your message? Because the minute you were, your team lost focus and your team was like, oh, that old thing. We do that sometimes. We don't right. always do that. Right? right. It's so, it's so easy to get lost that that's why I think mentorship, whether that be through coaching programs, mm -hmm. um, uh, like myself, podcasts like yours, um, you know, books or true partnerships, uh, we, we, even coaches need coaches, right? Even leaders need leaders. And right. it's because it's easy to drop those balls and forget. Mm -hmm. Guys, this has been such an amazing conversation. I'm looking at the time we've blown past an hour. Lauren, typically what we do is we start to wind down is first of all, 
Um, you mentioned your book, Culture Fox. I meant to mention that in the beginning. I'm glad you brought it back out. Um, so first of all, how do we find Culture Fox? Uh, how do I buy that if I wanted it? Easiest way, especially right now with all the beautiful social distancing that we're doing is through Kindle or on Amazon. Um, you can also source it through my website uh, at foxandjamesalon.com slash shop. Uh, but right now, because of social distancing, we're not, we're not in there shipping those out. Um, so Amazon would be great. Awesome. Okay. And then if we wanted to, I'm listening to you today, I want to reach out and connect with you. Um, what's the best way to reach you? Absolutely. Through uh, my website at laurencarens.com, uh, spelled L-O-R-E-A-N-C-A-I-R-N-S, or through social media at Lauren Karens uh, on Instagram. I also just want to take a moment to share that I am working on a coaching program that's going to be released later this year for this exact reason. I am so excited because I think the number one question I get asked is, how did you do it? Mm -hmm. And I think Culture Fox was my first touch point of helping salon leaders understand their culture, their communication, and their responsibility, and, and, and how and to feel supported. Um, I had so much response and gratitude from that, just for that little bit nugget of information I put out that I realized I needed to expand on it. So I'm going to be working on a coaching program that's a real transparent look at some of the things I've learned, because I really believe, and, and again, I mentioned it earlier, an employee-facing uh, salons and beauty businesses. Mm -hmm. And so that's my specific target of who I'm trying to help. I want those folks to have information and access to real education from someone who's actually done it. Um, and not just from those amazing, you know, uh, kind of other, uh, come other parts of our industry who come in and give us so much wonderful support. They really do. Yeah. But I want more folks to hear from people like us who have that one day at a time, small business experience and, and a little taste of what I, I share with my partners. So I'm really excited about that. That's, awesome. That's fantastic. When does it launch? Well, <laughs> due to oh, yeah. Yeah. right, yeah, 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 <laughs> got it. Some little filming delays and things, obviously. So it was yeah. scheduled for an early, like a late autumn, early fall launch. Um, I'm hoping I can still keep within that, but again, um, it sure. will be hopefully within 2020. Uh, and that you know, this whole pause that we're on, I'm just breathing through it, gentlemen, yeah. and we'll yeah. see. And I will yeah. keep everyone informed through social media and on my website, and they can subscribe there for more information. Awesome. That's Thank awesome. You. Uh, John, so, so many nuggets, such an impactful conversation. What are some of the things you're taking away from our conversation with Lauren today? I got, I got so much out of this podcast, so thank you very much. Um, for me, you know, culture is always a big, a big piece. And I loved how you shared about, you know, that ability to beforehand take a look at who are the people that are going to come into your company, whether they're fresh out of school, whether they're 10-year um, folks who are... Um, been in our industry, or whether they want to be partners with you. I, I, I love that whole um, piece of clearly defining who, who are your people, who's in tune with you culture and values wise, and how that helps grow a company. Um, you know, I love the idea that we still know that there are some classic data points that we need to stay in tune with, whether that's retention, whether that's rebooking, when, you know, we've all got, you know, our favorite ones that we like to connect with. Um, that's right. And I love how you have the ability to teach your team and the people that you work with the importance of those numbers. And I like, you said something earlier about, you know, we have this, these classic motivational techniques that we think are going to help people move forward on those numbers. And maybe it's not the numbers or the data that's no longer important. Maybe it's how we encourage people to get there that needs to be 
revamped and, and taken a, a closer look at. So I love all that. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Lauren, uh, just with respect to the fact that we have everything from hair school students to salon owners and, uh, and beyond um, listening, uh, anything you feel like we left on the table or any last words you just want to leave for the audience? I guess just because of the state of the union right now, I would <laughs> just say Lauren, are you running for president? <laughs> <laughs> you have my vote. Yes. Lauren for president. Yeah. No, I would say that I think there's been just so much uncertainty um, for, for people out there right now. I think what is so amazing is the resilience of our industry and the clients who are already, I mean, we've all seen the memes about, you know, the home color or the cutting of their hair, but really mm -hmm. the question is when can they get back in the salon? So yeah. I think for people who are affected right now or will be affected throughout this process, just this big deep breath and a little reassurance to know that we are an industry that will rebound one way or another, maybe mm -hmm. a little slowly, but I don't even think we, it will be too slowly on the other side, um, that there are so many folks out there just sharing and, and donating beautiful content and information. And that's just been something for me that's been um, really uplifting and empowering and reassuring. So I just want to be a voice in that as well, that as a leader and someone who's looking at the data on the other side, I feel super confident and I hope that you do too, that, you know, we're going to be just fine. We just have to get through this wild ride right now. So mm -hmm. I'm glad this didn't turn into a full conversation about, you know, this whole thing, because I think we've, we're all having a lot of those. Right. Um, we, and we want to have some really good 30,000 foot view conversations, which felt really good today. I have to be honest, but I didn't want to end without just sharing a little bit of, um, just reassurance to our to our beautiful community because you know i think hairstyling is the best job in the world and i think we're going to get through this just fine thank That's you for beautiful. that thank you very much every time we have one of these conversations i walk away with a little bit more than i knew before i came in and i love that about these podcasts yeah it's amazing uh we also walk away with a lot of gratitude to our listeners you know we, we we're watching those listens go up we crossed the twenty thousand mark just recently um there, I, we, we hate to ask, but we know there's a few things we need to ask for. I don't hate asking. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Hey, for those of you who haven't heard me ask before, five-star reviews. You got the phone in your hand. It's down by your lap. I don't care where it is, but it's not that far away from you. Five-star reviews. You know you want to do it. You know you love this podcast. Share it with the world because every time you create a five-star review an angel gets gets his wings did you know that <laughs> yeah and while that angel's getting his wings it helps us move up um you know it helps us get more noticed in the podcast world helps share the message and if you're really being served by this which we hope you are um you know we'd love for you to share that with some other salon owners the other thing we're going to ask you to do is to follow us on instagram at 124.go as well as Facebook. We're going to get more active on our Facebook page. And so if you're a Facebooker, then uh, follow us on Facebook at 124.go. And um, if you're a grammar, please tag us in your stories and we'll do the same uh, in ours. So thanks again for listening, everybody. We will see you on the next episode. Bye. Still